This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. The Saskatchewan Rush are the first NLL team to clinch a playoff spot. An American leads the NLL in scoring, and it's not Tom Schreiber. The Rochester Nighthawks have won three in a row and the hottest team in the NLL East. The Stealth are on the brink of elimination. The Mammoth have a wicked doubleheader, and we'll all remember Ray Guzik. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans? And welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, iTunes, and NLL Radio. Yes, you can actually listen to this on iTunes. So if you're not, and you would like to, just search OTCB Podcast. It's that simple. How's it going, everybody? Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of the show. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com I am your host as always and it was a quiet week in the National Lacrosse League just three games but out of those games we learned that the Rush clinched a playoff spot the Stealth are on the brink and the Nighthawks can put up some goals and should probably be feared in the National Lacrosse League East Division At the start of the year, you may not have thought that. But they have kind of righted the ship as Mike Hazen's group. They played more games than anybody in the East at 11. They're 5-6, and a game and a half out of first behind Buffalo, who they just beat, and a game back back, of Toronto and New England. Unfortunately, they're also tied with Georgia at a game and a half back. The Swarm have two games in hand. So it is very tight out east. Conversely, not so much out west. The Rush are in. Colorado could get a whole lot closer if they're able to get two wins this weekend. And the Roughnecks, well, they've got some space between them and Vancouver. And they would like to get in the playoffs as soon as possible and just let fate take its hand from there on in. So this past weekend, like I said, we had three games. Saskatchewan 10-6 winners over Calgary, in which was uh, not the most entertaining game between these two teams, but whenever they get together, it's always a tasty battle. And as we have seen from the Saskatchewan Rush Club, they like to get out early, and they like to put teams on the back foot. And after the first quarter... They are up 4-1. to one. And how good have the Rush been in first quarters this year? Listen to this number. They are plus 26 in the first quarter. 40 goals for and only 14 goals against. That is ridiculous. Ridiculous. They've played 11 games. And they've allowed 14 first quarter goals. And when you're giving a team like the Rush an early lead, early momentum, it's not too often that they lose games after they are leading the first quarter. And 
thanks to the National Lacrosse League website, I just so happen to have that stat. They are 7-2 and two when leading after one. And unfortunately, it doesn't help if they're trailing after one because they're also 1-0 and oh when they trail after the first quarter. So maybe the best thing is to be tied with them and then go from there. But you just cannot allow this rush team to gain momentum, get the crowd into games, get their legs underneath them, get everybody comfortable because they are just too good at shutting teams down when it's needed. They completely shut out Calgary in the third quarter. They outshot them 52-43. Both power plays were perfect, which was nice to see. There's another thing. You can't give Saskatchewan five power plays in a game. You're not doing yourselves any favors when you take unsportsmanlike penalties, bench minors, unnecessary penalties. Can't do it. And Calgary took the last four penalties in that game, and Saskatchewan scored on every single one of them. That's the difference in your ballgame right there, folks. So, if you're playing the rush, which the Vancouver Stealth are this weekend in a huge game in Saskatchewan, do not let the rush get out to an early lead and stay out of the box. That rush stealth game, sorry, that, yeah, the rush stealth. I almost thought I said the same team twice. The rush stealth game, is your National Lacrosse League Twitter game of the week. Jake Elliott and Brad and uh, Brian Shanahan will have the call. If you're in Vancouver, you can hear Brad Challenger do play-by-play of that game. That's one of four games on this weekend. But back to the rush. Like I said, you just cannot allow that team to gain momentum. And Calgary did a nice job in the second quarter trying to get back into the game. They got it to 5-4. It was a one-goal game at half. But it was that third quarter where the rush outscores Calgary 3-0. And then those power plays that were the killer. It was a nice goaltender's battle between Christian Del Bianco and Evan Kirk. Kirk making 37 saves to Del Bianco's 42. Obviously, the young Roughneck's mind, debt minder was the busier of the two and held his own. And I think that was one question a lot of people had about Christian Del Bianco. I know I kind of did. And kind of how I felt about this Calgary team is how they would fare against Saskatchewan in this new-look Roughnecks. Because when they played them that first time, that overtime game where they lost, it's a different team then from now. And I like their compete level. Uh, I like the way they play. Just playing the rush isn't easy on anybody. And they will make a good team look mediocre. And they find ways to win. And they are balanced. They are deep. And they just got a little more dangerous. That's right. As many of you all now know, on Monday, the Nighthawks pulled a bit of a shocker 
ahead of the March 19th trade deadline and flipped Dan Dawson to the Saskatchewan Rush for a second and a third round pick in two upcoming drafts, 2018 and 2020. Now, when I first heard about this, I was in shock, but I kind of saw it coming and was thinking it to myself uh, over the weekend when Dan Dawson sat out his second straight game as a healthy scratch. It's technically his third straight game that he's missed. He missed one game due to work commitments. But still, with the emergence of Joey Rezateritz as a scoring threat, a number one option, and maybe the best player in the NLL right now? Maybe? Maybe the best American in the NLL right now? We'll come back to that. But with his emergence, with a healthy jammer, a healthy Vitarelli, the emergence of some of the younger guys that they drafted, Dan Dawson became a bit expendable. And Kurt Steyer said, you know what? If he was going to be healthy enough to play and still wanting to play, it's not in our right to say he can't play. He wasn't going to be able to play for us, so we found a spot where he could. Fortuitously for the rush, sort of, the injury to Curtis Knight takes him out of the lineup. And so Derek Keenan did what any good GM did or would do, make a move to fill a hole and temporarily stop the bleeding. Now, the addition of Dan Dawson isn't, you know, a panic move. It is a calculated decision to bring in a seasoned veteran, an experienced quarterback of an offense, an unselfish player that understands he's coming into a very well-maintained machine as it is, and he's not there to disrupt things. He's there just to come in and bide some time. Now, the question many will have, and I had it as well, and I posed it to Derek Keenan, I said, well, what happens when night's healthy? And Jammer told me that this is indeed sort of a temporary thing. And when Knight gets off the IR, they will then make another roster move. Now, does that mean they'll flip Dan Dawson somewhere else? One person said on Twitter, maybe they flip him to Toronto if Tom Schreiber isn't able to get back healthy. Not a terrible idea. Dan Dawson becomes a... All-time quarterback, as it were. Plays offense for everybody. But the thing I like about this move is that there's familiarity between Dawson and Derek Keenan. Most recently, when they were with Team Canada together on the indoor team, but also when they were both in Portland with the Portland Lumberjacks. Dawson was a member of the Arizona Sting. Keenan drafted him in the dispersal draft. The same year that he got Brody Merrill in the expansion draft and that really screwed the Edmonton Rush which is something that they're making sure they don't do this year because back then Keenan got first in expansion and dispersal draft whereas this year you either get first in one and second in the other so that's probably a pretty good question for, for Derek Keenan one day If you're back in Portland and you don't have those first picks and you can only choose one of Merrill or Dawson, who do you take? 
pretty good question. I'm going to have to think on that one. But the fact that they're familiar with each other um, and they both have the utmost respect for each other in their craft, I think this is a very calculated move by Derek Keenan. And just, again, goes to show how he continues to tinker and never let his team take a step back. One of his star players gets an injury. Go get a veteran star who's just sitting as a healthy. A fantastic move by Derek Keenan. And unfortunately for Vancouver Stealth, Dawson will most likely be in the lineup this weekend when the Stealth are in town. And that's not going to be any easy. You have already planned your game plan for one six foot five monster. Now you got six six Dan Dawson. And someone else said this is that when you look at the size of the rush right hand side, righty side, they're fairly small. Ben McIntosh is probably their biggest player. But now you bring in Dan Dawson, it kind of changes the look of that right side. And it's going to cause teams fit. And Dawson's going to come in, and like I said, he's not going to come in and say, hey, you know what, I need the ball, I'm going to be a superstar. Never been his thing. He'll be a swingman, he'll be a mucker, he'll be setting picks, rolling to the net, take shots when it's there, but he will come in and do everything he can to not disrupt that offense. And he'll just be super-duper okay with his role. He gets it. He understands. And that's what makes him such a great player. Never one to be looking for the limelight. Humble, charismatic, poised, and professional beyond all belief. And it's going to seem very weird after years of being in teal to now be in electric green. For those wondering, March 19th, is the NLL trade deadline. So we were, what, maybe three weeks away from that or so as we are on the verge of entering March as this year quickly flies by. So back to Joey Rez, who has taken his game to a completely different level. And after seeing him with the Victoria Shamrocks, I finally got a really good understanding of what made him so good. And at times, you don't really notice him because he's not the biggest. He's not the most physical forward you're going to see. But he is extremely talented and wonderfully poised with the ball and takes the opportunities when he's there and has allowed his game to go to a completely different level as an American. He understood the process that having to get better in the indoor game was a big thing for him. So he spent time up with Brampton. His brother Frank was up there for a bit with him. And he learned and he understood and it's helped his game. And now he leads the entire National Lacrosse League in points. And for a while there, we all thought that it was going to be Tom Schreiber but his injury has really dropped him off the pace. And now it's Rez and Mark Matthews at the top in 64 points. Identical stat lines, 23 and 41. 
And what Rez is doing for that offense in Rochester, balancing it out and giving them weapons on both sides of the floor that, you know, aren't easy to match up against. That's one of the big reasons that Rochester has gone on this little mini win streak that they're on because they started the year off great. They stumbled a bit through the, you know, latter part of December and the first part of January. And now they've won three straight. And they're climbing back up the standings and are looking like a team to beat in the East. And one of the biggest parts of their success has been the ability to drop their goals against down and create a positive plus minus. And a lot of that is Matt Vince is seeing the ball a lot better and he's making saves and not getting mixed up on any of the other things that Matt Vince would often get his head mixed up in. And when you can get a defense playing calm, composed defense in front of a goaltender, that gives the goalie a lot more confidence. And when your goaltender has confidence, that reverberates through everybody on the roster. But it also helps to have experienced voices in the locker room. One of the reasons why I like bringing Dan Dawson over to Rochester, or sorry, over to Saskatchewan, is as much championship experience that there is on that rush team, they are still very, very young. And so to bring in a guy like Dan Dawson, just another veteran presence for a group that, you know, at times, this year especially, hasn't had that killer instinct. And having played with Dan Dawson, he understands that mode. Another guy who understands that is a guy Rochester brought over this year from Buffalo, Billy D. Smith. And love him or hate him, the guy is a tenacious competitor, a hardworking SOB, and one of my favorite guys to talk to because he doesn't pull any punches, he speaks his mind, and he's always good for a laugh. So when I caught up with Billy, he was packing for a trip to Mexico. He was playing daddy daycare at home with his two daughters. But I asked him, after all that time in orange and black, in all those years hating the purple and teal, how does it feel to be a member of the Rochester Nighthawks? When I made the decision, it was it was kind of, uh, you know, leading up to, you know, the first training camp. It was a little weird. But uh, the reason why I made the, the decision, uh, why I picked Rochester as well, is because it was so familiar to me, you know, playing playing with Zeno Lordy, you know, Kersey, who I played like six, seven years with. So, you know, even Gussie. Um, so it was familiar for me, you know what I mean, practicing on a sick nation. So um, I think the weirdest moment just happened this weekend. But uh, <laughs> Even playing Buffalo and Rochester wasn't as weird as I expected, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a little surprise. This past weekend, you guys were in Buffalo. The first time you'd been back, you mentioned it was a little bit weird. How weird was it? It was very weird, man. It was uh, even, like, uh, especially just even the drive, you know, driving in and then 
you know, it's kind of like, you know, a little weird. And then, you know, I see the security guard and he's like, right. where you been? You've been hurt? I'm like, no, man. <laughs> you know, the parking attendant just, it's mostly like all the workers that I've been seeing for the last 15 years. You know what I mean? And yeah, then, um, yeah. you know, even, even the people, the hotel staff, right? Yeah. So. That, that's one of the cool things about, you know, being in this league and being a, with a, a team and organization for so long is those familiar faces that you get. And it happens in other sports and you see that happen all the time where, Guys get traded, they come back, and, and they see the guy working the front door. And right, the security right. Security guard. Those are the relationships that really make coming to the rink really cool. They do, and those are the ones you know that make the you know the, the big difference. You know the you know even like equipment people, so on and so forth. Yeah. And, and they're probably a little bit more used to the turnover than we are. <laughs> but, yeah, no uh, doubt. Yeah, that's what that's what makes the league special. You know what I mean? You guys are on a bit of a heat, heater right now, three in a row. Uh, you just stomped over your former teammates, Buffalo, 70-10 in Buffalo. Uh, that's got to feel good, and, and you got to like where this team's going. I love it. Um, you know, the, this league, anybody can beat anybody on the, any given night. Um, it's been that way probably the last four or five years, but uh, I think it's all about, you know, peaking in the right time, and I, and I see us peaking at the right moment um, and building confidence. Even the games we lost, we really didn't deserve to win those games, and we knew that, even though, you know, a couple roles here and there could have uh, mm-hmm. changed the outcome. But we, um, I think now we know how hard we have to work to, to you know, secure that win. And, you know, the, the first two games, they came to us very easy. Yeah. Um, I still don't think those two games, they were kind of blowouts against Calgary and Buffalo. I still don't think that our defense was that great walking away from those games. Not nearly as good as it is today. So right. I think um, – I think in saying that, yeah, we're definitely going in the right direction. And, you know, winning the Buffalo was, uh, meant a lot to me. You know, the guys the guys were um, kind of bringing it up quite a bit. I just yeah. I just want to focus about the game and not really make it about me. But it was hard, you know, especially alumni night. And then they, they honored me at the 10-minute mark, which was really cool. So even uh, the probably the most special moment for me was um, after the National Anthem, all the Buffalo alumni guys were lined up behind me. Yeah. Um, so when the band players ran out and like each and every one of them came up and shook my hand and gave me a hug, you know, I got awesome. a picture with Darius on the floor. So that was really humbling and kind of got the emotions going. And I was just like, all right, let's get to the 10 minute mark, get this <laughs> over with. And, you yeah. know, and focus. I don't really, I've never been a guy that really like too much attention on myself. So you're, you're a pretty humble and quiet guy, but were there a couple tears following in that video played? Um, yeah, I got some goosebumps for sure. And I know, uh, Reno, Reno told me he got some goosebumps. So I was just kind of, you know, I was sitting there watching it. Uh, I want to thank Scott Lawson for doing that. But, um, yeah, then I just wanted to get out there and hit somebody and get, <laughs> and get on with my life. <laughs> this is so. a group that, that, that has come a long way. You mentioned, uh, you know, the two wins at the start, and then you guys kind of uh, stumbled uh, after the, yeah. the start. What do you think has changed since week one and two to now? Um, I honestly think just, just knowing what it takes, you know what I mean? We, we had the effort cause I'm not going to say we weren't trying, but we weren't, we knew we weren't trying smart, but I don't know if we were necessarily trying enough. We thought we were trying, but then I know though, you know, the game against Georgia, when we won, we were all absolutely dog tired at the end of that game. Yeah. And a lot of times when you lose, you're not that tired because the other team's dictating to you for the 60 minutes, you know what I mean? So as long as we're the ones dictating, we will, and then we are that tired, you know, I'd say 90% of the time you're going to, you're going to win. So I think um, now that we know that, and it's, I think everybody knows that, but it's knowing it as a group, you know what I mean? Yeah. Every group is, is, is different. So I think now that we have that, I think, um, I think we can continue to be the scary team that we are right now. 
How good is Joe Rez playing right now? <laughs> Joey Rez is a beast. Yeah. He's um even like his rookie year in Buffalo, like I I was with him for a couple of years in Buffalo before they trade him to Raj. He it's not even the goals, like I'm so happy that he's getting the goals and the points, but he does not stop moving. He no, doesn't really. he does the little things. He's um he's today's Mikey Percy. You know what I mean? Right. People remember Kersey back in the day. Yeah. Kersey was dirty, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Kersey was a dirty little grinder. And he could put the bomb in that. And I think um, I think Joey's getting, you know, getting the goals and the assists off of his hard work. So it's it's nice to see for everything coming together for him. And, like, I think uh, um, a big thing in Joey's favor is he doesn't necessarily think of himself as the guy. I don't know yeah. if he ever will. And I think that uh, that only makes him more dangerous. A lot of talk at the start of the year was made over the fact that Rochester took Jake Withers uh, instead of Zach Courier. How did mm-hmm. you like Jake's adjustment to the National Crossing, and, and how is he fitting in? Jake is uh, he's fitting in great. Uh, my brother-in-law, obviously, Stainhouse, was telling me um, how good of a kid he was in Peterborough. And then, yeah. uh, you know, I got him in Roch, and he's unbelievable. I think that, you know, with Courier, too, if you look at our left side, like, we're really deep defensively. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So there wasn't really a spot for him there. But the good thing with Withers is we get scored on, we get the ball back. We score, we get the ball back. And the kids, his defensive game has surprised me. It's absolutely surprised me from where he was in training camp and where he is now. He's a beast himself out there. And he's a a little wrestler, so he's a strong kid. But, um, yeah, I feel like um, he's adjusted well to the NL rules. I don't know how much he likes him right now, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but um, yeah. And the, the good thing about him is, if he does lose a draw, he's making it. He's making it a battle, and then nine out of ten times he comes up with a loose ball. So um, you mentioned uh, the rule changes that he's had to adjust to over the past few years. The National Cross League has made some made some rule changes. How have you had to adjust and change your game style to to the new look of the National Cross League? Oh man, tremendously. Tremendously. I remember back in the day, if I didn't have a penalty, I feel like I didn't play aggressive enough, especially in the, you know, when Darius started the pressure defense. A lot of times you would get a clean hit, but the guy wouldn't know that you you were coming behind him. You were chasing him. So he'd turn around, you'd blow him up, you get a penalty. So the rest kind of adjust back then. But um, I haven't had a penalty in like six games. I know people still, I see sometimes on message boards, they're like, oh, that, oh good luck with that guy and his penalties. I'm like, man. I haven't met Buffalo when I was in Buffalo for penalties in like six, right. seven years. But, you know, I guess uh, I did such a good job my first eight years that it'll follow me to the day I die, which I don't mind. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's different. It's it's a lot different. Um, I know in training camp, they always try to clamp down on certain things. Um, and one of them was off-ball or on-ball slash. I remember off-ball slash a couple of years ago, which I was like, well, okay, whatever. But on-ball slash, I'm like, yeah. that's what I do. I remember being on the power play, the guy had the ball. I chopped him three times. He passed the ball. I got a penalty. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you got to cross-check after your second chop. I'm like, this is getting too complicated. But right. good thing they're not doing it in the regular season. But um, I get why they're doing it, you know, especially with concussions and all that. Mm-hmm. But I, I I do think it's taken away from our game a little bit. I think the fans would like to see, you know, you played in like a good old scrum back in the day. Yeah. If there's a scrum and, you know, I complained to the ref because I got punched in the head. He's well, I saw you punch him too. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I'm not, instead of taking both of you, you're, you're both are free. But now it's, uh, it's a little different, but the game's faster. So it's hard to say. Personally, I'd rather it, it be a little bit rougher, but, but yeah. I, I get the reasoning behind everything. You know what I mean? And, Absolutely. 
I know I'm 35 and not everything can stay the same. <laughs> so <laughs> when, uh, when you, yeah, when you came into the league 15, 16 years ago, do you think you'd still be playing by this time? No, no, I didn't. Um, I even, well, just for my body was a mess then for my injuries. Um, yeah. You know, I was always a, a rough player. I was probably a little faster than I should have been. I had a lot of torn hamstrings and whatnot. But I, I always thought, you know, if I could, if I could be one of the guys to play past 30, um, that would be a goal in itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but to, to still be playing and contributing and be able to be on the man down. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I can still contribute. I was speaking with Jake Hendhawk, uh, the night off, uh, director of player or lacrosse mm-hmm. operations. And, and he said, one of your biggest attributes is just being a, a constant leader out there and a voice, especially for the, some, some of the younger guys. How important is that for you? at this stage in your career to be that vocal leader? Um, I think, it, it, you know, it, when you're younger, you, you, you try a little harder to do that. But I think, yeah. you know, once you're, you get a little bit older and, um, you know, I've been sick nations for 13 years as well, it, uh, it just comes natural. You know what I mean? I, I, sometimes I think I don't realize how much the kids do listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but people that know me, I'm not, I'm not the most quiet guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so it's nice to know that they think that about me and, 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 you know, I'm appreciated in that way as well, for sure. Have you ever thought about getting into coaching when you're done? Uh, yeah, I have. I have. Um, yeah. Me and Vino always joke around about uh, coaching the junior A team, but I don't yeah. think either one of us would want to do that until we're done <laughs> playing. So we yeah. should completely focus on it. So we always say, oh, when we're done, you know, we'll take a year off, but. You know, sometimes a year turns into two, so I'll probably just jump right into it. But, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be a uh, coach one day for sure. You guys have uh, the week off before you, your next lacrosse game. What's, uh, what's in store for Billy D. Smith while you got some time off? Well, us and the family are heading to uh, Mexico tomorrow. Oh. A, yeah, Puerto Morales. So, going to get some golfing in, some uh, some relaxing. Maybe. How's your golf game? It's um, uh, high 80s, uh, between high 80s and 100 is the result <laughs> for me. So it depends on uh, any given day. No doubt. How many balls oh, did you drop out of the pocket? You oh, jeez. My, uh, my father-in-law watches me, so. Yeah. Who's, yeah. The, who's the worst golfer you've played with in the NLL? Like, like the worst golfer I've yeah, ever golfer played with. with. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go with Vaughn Harris. I oh, played yeah. with uh, He's in the NLL. He wasn't in the NLL at the time. Yeah. But me, Dane, and a bunch of the boys got together about two years ago, and he couldn't uh, he couldn't hit a ball. But I don't know. <laughs> he might have been hung over from the night before. So. Uh, that, that often happens. <laughs> uh, it's been a tough month or so for the lacrosse world. Uh, we lost Dave Huntley, who you know very well. Right. Most, most recently, we lost Ray Guzze. Um, we're going to speak with Guzze because both of us knew him really well. But uh, awesome. Dave Huntley was um, a man of the people. He was everything that – Canadian lacrosse stood for. Um, what did he mean to you uh, and your development? Um, Huntley was huge for me. Um, he was one of those guys that believed in me more than I believed in myself. You know what yeah. I mean? And he was just, you know, hi, how you doing? We would, you know, touch base once a year on a phone call. Um, and with Team Canada, it's just like he's the type of guy I'd run into and, you know, we'd kiss on the lips. People thought it was funny, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, I loved every minute of it. But yeah. He, um, he's the the epitome of a player's coach you know he didn't just care about you know your on field he cared about you your family how you were doing um yeah it was a complete shock when uh when Hans passed and uh yeah i'll definitely miss him ray guze was 
as special as they come and very, very sort of similar to you in the fact that he may not have been an offensively gifted player, but on the defensive end, he was just a force and everybody knew when he was was out there because you knew, you knew when he stepped on the floor, Ray was going to chop you across the wrist. He was going to be in your face. He was going to call you a name. Mm-hmm. He was going to make you laugh at the same time. Yeah, Goose was um, my most memorable and probably favorite rookie of all time. When I came in the league, it was 03. Yeah. He was with us in Buffalo. I'm pretty sure he was with us most of 2004. Um, but uh, the first time we took a, a, I guess, what was it, a sleeper bus? You know, got the yeah, AC yeah, bad yeah. satellite. And all the guys, uh, you know, Dan T, JT, all the older guys are uh, – actually, I always thought Ray was only like three years older than me, and me and Akersi were talking the other day and found out that he's Akersi's age. Yeah. He's a 75, but, <laughs> you know, he's uh, definitely a baby-faced assassin. The guy yeah. never even seen the, the, the picture. He he never aged. Never, but, he's never uh, got a race. Never, no, no. But going back to Sleeper Boss, all of a sudden he throws on a, a movie – of the silver, silver wolf, I believe, and his uh, his epic scene was a high five. But um, yeah. I learned a lot from that guy, and you know that um, that was a good old days. Um, you know, I played. And we had Andy Ogilvy on the team, Charles oh, um, Vick. Like we were just absolute beasts. And yeah. Darius just told me to do whatever I wanted, and you know, not only did we we didn't get away with anything, but everybody was scared of us. And yeah. Ray was. Uh, epitome of uh, practice like you play. He yeah. was so rough in practice, and Darius loved every minute of it, and it made us all better. Um, you know, he got in a couple games, but uh, I know he definitely he definitely pissed the offense off, and yeah. it was pretty much it would become, you know, a defense. The offense would get pissed off, and then, you know, we'd back Ray up. But, uh, yeah, I don't think they make him like that anymore, you know. No. He um, he knew what he was getting, and I think it, it, it helped him too because the refs knew how he played. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is how he plays. He plays the fine line. And, you know, I preach that to this day. If if everybody plays on that line, you're not going to get called. You know what I mean? But if one guy does it, then he's going to be noticed. And Ray was, uh, yeah, it was uh, Michael Donaldson's go to his family. He was a special guy. And, uh, yeah, I, I, wish I, I wish I saw him more. He's, Absolutely. I heard a couple good stories over the weekend about him. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there will be a lot more going around. I remember we were in Philadelphia playing, and in the old Philadelphia barn, the fans used to put the cups around the dasher. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cup. And so when, when we come out for first warm, we do the lap, and he spots the guy who's got a couple beers on the dasher and comes around <laughs> the second time, takes a shot on Disher, and then jumps into the glass. Well, no. Dude, all his beers over. Well, so that's after it. we were at Cobblestone, after, no, we were at the post-game bar after, and Ray, the guy saw the guy. The guy saw Ray. Yeah. Ray's like, oh, man, I'll buy you a beer. No worries. But that's yeah. kind of the guy Ray, Ray was. When yeah, he hated, yeah. He hated playing against him, but once he met him, he was the nicest, most sincere. And respectful, sincere, yeah. yeah. So he was a, he's a legend, for sure. He was a legend and definitely. And, you know, me as being, I was a 20-year-old kid. Like, I still had a year junior left. And I feel like we just, you know, hit it off all year. He uh, kind of just took care of me, made sure I was okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, and I, I had Mark there, my brother-in-law and stuff, but... Wherever Ray was is kind of where me and Mark would kind of migrate. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of, yeah. And he likes he likes his shenanigans. You know, we like to uh, you know the leaners in the hotel room. Yeah. I remember even like Troy Cordon one time we took his dress shirt 
soaked and tied it up in a knot right before the game. So <laughs> back in the day, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, legend. So back in the day, you could do those things to the coaches. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no now everybody's coming out of uh, NCAA where they're a little bit more militant than we were. <laughs> <laughs> life, life has changed, Billy. We've gotten a little bit older, my man. Yeah, I know. Sadly. Well, my dude, uh, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, I love our chats. Uh, best of luck down in Mexico. Hope your Thank you, sir. Survives and. Uh, your girls are well, and, and all the best to the family. Uh, we'll talk soon, and uh, I'll see you at the end of March in Rochester, buddy. Sounds good, man. Take care. There is Billy D. Smith of the Rochester Nighthawks. It's always weird to say. It's like when I interviewed Paul Day, and I said, Paul, how does it feel to be Paul Day, general manager, head coach of the Philadelphia Wings? And he says it's weird. Still takes some time to get his mind around it. And I can only imagine how Billy feels. And you heard him say, you know, the the first few times of going to Rochester, playing Buffalo, was a little different. But this past weekend, going back to the rink and seeing the attendants and the security guards and, and the season ticket holders and the ushers and all those people you saw week in and week out as a guy on the home team, and then to have to go the other way to the other dressing room, go to a different penalty box, go to a different player's bench, it's a different feeling, man. And he has done it with class. And he's had to really change his game because we all know Billy D. That man liked to take some penalties back in the day. And he really played along that line and often would go over the line. And now he's kind of honed it in a bit. And taking less penalties and playing smarter, not harder on the defensive end and uh, people in Rochester are absolutely loving him. Everybody in the front office and the coaching staff raves about him. And I know they are happy to have him on their side. It was a emotional night in Buffalo for many. Uh, obviously, Billy D. Smith, his first time back, and they played a great tribute video for him. Uh, I didn't know Billy had scored that many goals in his career, but somehow they were able to dig up a bunch of his goal-scoring highlights. Tons of alumni were in attendance that night, and you heard him tell the story about how after the National Anthem, all the alumni came up and gave him a hug and shook his hand. He got a picture taken with Darius, and I know that their relationship was strong. And with many in that alumni association, uh, there's so many guys in that group that have all played together and played with Billy because, damn, the guy had been there for so long. But what made it even more emotional was that earlier in the week we had learnt the passing of National Lacrosse Leaguer Ray Guzik. And for fans of this league of yesteryear, um, they will remember Ray Guzik. Whether you were a fan of his or not, whether he was on your team or not, whether you played with him or against him, you knew who Ray Guzik was. And it wasn't so much that he was the most punishing or dirtiest or cheapest player out there. He was the biggest rat ever. And I say that with as much conviction and pride as possible, that he played the role of rat to a T. And it was fantastic. Every little thing that he did, was to antagonize the other players. I think 
he's still the only guy to get John Grant Jr. to fight in a lacrosse game. And I believe it was during a man cup, maybe. Peter Coquitlam kind of sounds familiar. 2007, to be exact. And Ray was in John Grant Jr. shorts the entire game, all series long. And Jr. eventually just finally had enough. And I think he, like, fired a ball right past Ray and then punched him square in the jaw. How often do you see, like, we all have seen John Grant Jr. get a little frustrated and he'll throw a backhanded trip at a guy or pull him down by his helmet or something like that just out of frustration. But to actually punch a guy in frustration is something you never really saw. And that's just what Ray did. He brought out the fire inside of you. And you absolutely hated playing against him. But, man, was he always smiling, always telling stories. For those that don't know, Ray actually played semi-pro hockey and at one point in his junior career was coached by Mike Babcock, who now coaches the Toronto Maple Leafs. Shout out Neil Doddridge for that little nugget. But Ray had traveled, man. Like, Ray had been through the ringers in the sports world. He had rode the bus for hard miles in the UHL and and semi-pro hockey down the States. And so he had some stories. But when you pick up stories, you also pick up tricks of the trade. You also become a little more savvy. And as Billy D and I were talking about, he loved to pull pull pranks on teammates, leaners in the hotel room. Um, The shoe check was one of my all-time favorites. If you don't know what a shoe check is, uh, generally, the teams will all go out for dinner either the night before a game or some point during a road trip or even just during the year, during training camp or something like that. And what Ray would do is he would get a soup spoon or some sort of spoon and fill it with ketchup or mustard or some sort of condiment. And then he would literally get out of his seat, crawl on the ground and underneath the tables and then find some unsuspecting player's shoe dump the condiment on it, stealthily make it back to a seat, and then he'd wait. Five, 10, 15 minutes, who knows? Because he never saw him actually do it. And then every so often, he'd give one of the veterans a nudge or whoever else was in on it with him, and they'd all call shoe check. And then everyone starts saying, oh, shoe check, shoe check, check your shoe, shoe check. And everyone's laughing because they know what's up, and they know someone got gotten. And so you see everybody push their chairs back from the table, take a look at their nice, shiny dress shoes or their fancy runners or whatever they're wearing. And then finally someone will be like, damn you, Ray, and they'll pull up their shoe and they'll be covered in mustard. (laughs) Unbelievable. But that's just Ray, man. And when I heard the news, when, when Doddridge told me the news and then I found out from a few other people, I was just... Completely blown away. Because, like I said, there wasn't a nicer guy off the floor. And just a charismatic personality. Uh, We called him Silver Wolf. Uh, Billy D mentioned the movie that he was in. Anyone who's played with Ray has seen the movie because he would, like, carry it around with him for bus trips. If you happen to own the movie or can find it online... 
There is a brief clip where Rafe high fives somebody in the movie Silver Wolf, and so that became his nickname. But also because he had that long flowing hair and the and the sort of Italian olive skin and the good looks, it just kind of fit his personality. And to hear that he passed away in Costa Rica, one of his favorite places in the world, just having the time of his life, you never, ever want to see somebody go out like that. And kudos to the Bandits for for holding a moment of silence for him during alumni night as he was one of their alumni. But he's an alumni of the NLL. And we will all miss Ray Guze. We'll miss his smile. Like Billy said, wish I saw him more. But I know I'll see him again. Rest easy, Silver Wolf. We'll miss you, my buddy. One of the other teams that Ray Guze played for was the Minnesota Swarm. That's where he and I first came across paths. He was one of the first two players ever signed along with Neil Doddridge, so that's why they were quite close. But the Swarm are in action this weekend. They'll take on the Colorado Mammoth on Friday night, which begins a hellacious trip for the Mammoth over the weekend. Thursday, they'll fly down to Georgia. They'll play the Swarm on Friday night. And then first thing in the morning, they'll get on a plane and fly back for a Saturday night game against Buffalo. Now, luckily, they've been able to find some pretty good connections. And so they'll get into Colorado, fingers crossed, around 9. So that should give them plenty of time, get into Denver, get to the hotel, get to Mod Market, get themselves some salads and pizzas and sandwiches and all the things that Mod Market provides. And then get a solid nap in. But I think this is a mightily important weekend for the Mammoth. Because they can really supplant themselves into a playoff spot. It won't be an official playoff spot. But if they can get two wins, they really put pressure on Vancouver to essentially win out. And with the Stealth playing the rush this weekend on the road, their road isn't very easy either. And if Colorado is going to beat Georgia, they're going to have to get a fantastic performance from Dylan Ward. He has to be the best Dylan Ward that we've seen all year long. This is the back stretch of the season. This is the time where teams need to start ramping it up. Sports cliches 101. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. You want to be going uphill with momentum when you cross that finish line. And this is the time to start for the Colorado Mammoth. A little bit of hot and cold at times. Guys in and out of the lineup never helps. But I think the team that we saw in their last game that they played against New England is the team we need to see the rest of the year. And when they come back home to take on Buffalo, the Bandits will be healthy and rested and waiting. And you know that they're going to be hungry 
to get back into the win column after their loss this weekend to Rochester. Because Buffalo is playing for first place in the East right now. It'll be the return of Alex Bouquet to Colorado. It'll be interesting to see if Cordingly gives him the start or if they'll let Zach Higgins have it. And that game will be live on NLL TV as all games will. Colorado at Georgia Friday. Georgia, Toronto, Saturday. Vancouver, Saskatchewan, Saturday. Buffalo, Colorado, Saturday. Funny, I didn't even know Georgia was playing back-to-back until I read those four games. Didn't even cross my mind. So Georgia has just as hellacious of a trip as the Mammoth do, and maybe even harder because they have to cross the border. They might even fly to Buffalo and then bus to Toronto, just depending on flights and availability and all those things. So for the Mammoth, it's important because Calgary's off this weekend. So like I said, they get two games. They can get, you know, a little more space between them and the Roughnecks. Really put Vancouver on ice. And keep Saskatchewan within striking distance. It's still a big task. But good enough for them, the fact that they have three games in hand on the rush. And they don't meet Saskatchewan until their third last game of the year, and that's at the start of April on the 7th uh, when they go to Tell. So big weekend here, coming off a bye, back-to-back games, and then they have a stretch of Western games where they go Colorado, Vancouver, Colorado, which really could settle things in the NLL West. We spoke of Vancouver and how they're on the brink of elimination. They let go John Lynch. They let go of Jim Mulligan. They brought back Art Webster. They promoted Kevin Alexander. Two kind of interesting moves. Many people saw it as a strange one by Doug Locker. Many people were wondering why those were the people that got let go, why those were the decisions that were made. They made a player movement to bring in Brendan Fowler. I spoke with Doug Locker before the game, and... He was stressing that bringing in Fowler was a move done to free up Brandon Clullen because Clullen had been one of their best transition players all year, but he was also taking face-offs for them. So this gave him some more freedom. And they are also worried about momentum. And having Fowler out there, Doug felt that he would allow them to not allow momentum to get out of hand. And for the better part of that game, Vancouver did a really nice job, especially in the start. I thought Vancouver was playing some really strong lacrosse at the start of that game. Probably one of the best stretches of lacrosse I've seen him play all year. But as we have seen over time with this Vancouver club, is that they just don't have that killer instinct. And when the seeds of doubt begin to get planted, teams that are slumping often will give in. And I'm not saying they gave in or gave up or anything like that. That's just how sports seem to work. And it's a psychological thing. And even though Vancouver was up that entire game, New England made sure to not allow them to get too far in front. 
not allow them to have too big of momentum. When Beer scored to make it 4 nothing, four minutes into the quarter, you kind of maybe thought, okay, maybe this shakeup on the bench has worked. And I think that it will be a good change for that bench. I just think it's a better mental dynamic. Unfortunately, when you can't get a stop late and you give up the last three goals of the game when you're up, it's just demoralizing for teams. And now Vancouver is 1-10. They are eight games back of first, three and a half games out of a playoff spot. They're on the road against the Rush this weekend. They could quickly become 1-11 and with six games left. And that's why I said if Colorado can win two this weekend, they'll be on seven wins and pretty much assured a playoff spot. So if you're the Vancouver Stealth and you're GM Doug Locker and you're coming up to the trade deadline, what do you do? Who can you trade on your roster that will give you back worth? That will give you back some value? And truly, for the stealth, what is valuable for them is draft picks. They need to find a way to acquire as many draft picks as they can. So, my first move, if things go, don't go their way this weekend, and with the news of Corey Small heading east, I would try and find someone out east in a playoff spot that could use a left-hander. Try and get a first-round pick for him. If you can't, get as many second-round picks for him as you can. Try and bring back a young, talented kid, youth. Even if it's a rookie or a second-year guy, your first priority for me is draft picks. In the next two, three years, get as many first, seconds, or thirds as you can get. I truly don't think maybe other than beers and other than Shuss and Small, you can really get first-round value for anybody on that roster right now. They just released their first pick from last year's draft, Ryan Fournier. They offered him a practice spot. He didn't want it, which is 100% in his right. He turned down the offer, and now he's a free agent. So they need to find players who will be able to have impact through the draft. And I'm not saying Fournier didn't, but the talent and people that they passed over, a lot of people are looking at. Ryan Lee, for one. Chase Fraser is another. Drew Belgrade is another. All guys who play lacrosse out west. Now, geographically, it doesn't mean a whole lot as I think 
Doug told me the number of 15 of 17 or somewhere like 80% of their guys are local. And many of the Ontario guys that they have on their team are now transplanted BC guys. But as I've said before, Vancouver's been in a tough spot the last few years because it was the double-edged sword. Back in the day, we always said, Locker in Vancouver needs to do a better job of getting BC talent. Local guys, bring them back home, build your team around BC guys. He tried that through free agency. Unfortunately, because of some of the moves that he made, he didn't have the draft picks to get Matthews or Church or Dinsdale or McIntosh or any of those BC guys that would look great in a stealth uniform. So when you give up your draft picks and you can't build guys through the draft, you have to try and bring in free agents. And he did that. He brought in Billings. He brought in Small. He tried to bring in Ethan Iannucci. He's brought back Brody McDonald, Ian Hawksby. Tons of BC talent. Hawksby's a BC guy now. He's one of us. But the unfortunate thing is, is because there's really nobody along the West that you can trade with because you don't really want to trade with Calgary. And Saskatchewan's pretty set. But geographically is sort of where I was going. When Toronto was building their team, it was easy for them because, one, they had the Golden Horseshoe and everybody from the GTA area wanted to play there. But if they needed to trade a guy, they could trade him somewhere where it wasn't a big commute or somewhere where they would have to relocate. Vancouver doesn't really have that option. They don't have a team that's fairly close that they can trade with. Sure, you can trade with Calgary, but you're still generally going to have to fly guys in. So it's, like I said, it was a double-edged sword. And unfortunately, it's coming back, pointing at Doug Locker right now. So I'm very interested to be a bystander to watch what Doug Locker and the Stealth do in the coming weeks. Because if Vancouver is unable to get themselves sort of over this hump and go on an incredible winning streak, and they're out of the playoffs as early as March 10th, then you have nine days to figure out what you're going to do with your lacrosse club and what direction you're going to go. Signs of the time point that they're going to look for gritty warrior type two-way guys because Doug Locker announced the other day that Andrew Suter is coming back for two more years. Actually, it might be three years. I thought it was two years. Uh, NLL Transaction says it's a three-year deal. But nonetheless, Andrew Suter coming back as a member of the Vancouver Stealth for a couple more years. And so there's a start. There's a heart and soul guy you can try and rally your team around. But again, this is a club that needs draft picks. They need youth. And they need to find somebody willing to take some of their talent off of their hands. So we shall wait and see. Stealth taking on the Saskatchewan Rush Saturday night from Saskatel Center in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Jake Elliott, Brian Shanahan.
We'll have the call on the Twitter game of the week. If you want to listen on Vancouver Radio, you can. Brad Chowner will have the call. Colorado at Georgia Friday. Georgia Rock, Stealth, Rush, Bandits, Mammoth, all on Saturday. There's some good lacrosse coming up. It's survival of the fittest out in the East and in the West. It's just maintain steady course if you're the top three clubs. And if you're Vancouver, you just got to win, baby. You just got to win. Want to give a big shout out to Billy D. Smith. Thank you to him for stopping by and giving us some time. I always love catching up with BDS. Um, I still will always remember the first time I ever saw him play my rookie year. Uh, We had played Rochester, Toronto the night before. Uh, We went down and watched Buffalo play maybe the Saints at the time. But Billy D. got introduced as Billy S.T.D. Smith, and I almost spit my drink out. And ever since then, he's been one of my favorite players to watch just because of a poorly tasted nickname. And I don't think it was ever said again. So thanks to Billy for joining us. Uh, He's a one-year-time kind of guy, but you never know. The guy loves to talk. He's always got things on his mind and and is a bit of an open book. So uh, maybe you'll hear from BDS later on in the summer or maybe later on the year, depending on how consistent this Rochester Nighthawks club can keep some wins going. They're playing some good lacrosse. They are on a three-game winning streak. The hottest team in the National Lacrosse League as it stands. And until then, my name's Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing all the peeps back in Colorado this weekend as it's been quite a while since the Mammoth were at home. It's 3.03 day, Denver Pride night. As the Mammoth will be wearing their Denver Pride helmets and jerseys. Always a fun night inside the Pepsi Center. So if you're going to a game this weekend, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun they'll have too. That about wraps us up here on SoundCloud, iTunes, and NLL Radio. Thanks as always for tuning in. And until next time, be excellent to each other. Oh, but